He's a retired lieutenant from the Los Angeles Police Department. He's also one of the stars of a new miniseries on Discovery Plus called American Cartel. It talks about a case where a police officer was shot and killed, another seriously injured, and the detailed investigation that led to the involvement of the Sinaloa Cartel. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. If you enjoy the Law Enforcement Today podcast, do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, if you got a few moments, leave an honest review and rating. But most importantly, tell a friend or two or three. Calling us from Oregon, we have retired L.A. Police Lieutenant Adam Berkovici on the phone. Did I say your last name right, Adam? Yeah, you did. That's correct. Berkovici. I'm so proud of myself that I got it right the very first time. You know when I see your name, Adam, I immediately think of those years I took Latin in high school, in the seminary, and had to study so hard. And I think of Vini Vidi Vici as where it comes from. And you know what? That's all I remember after all those years. Well, the name is actually Romanian. It's not Italian. A lot of people get it confused. And it means bear conqueror. So Berco Vici, that's what it means. It was a derivative that was, you know, multiple generations ago was changed from another name um, back in the old country. Awesome. It is a Latin name. Yes. So you are bear conqueror. Uh, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> that's a heck of a title to have. I mean, I can't come up with anything remotely close to that. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's a uh, it's an interesting name. Like I said, most people think it's Italian. I think I had a sergeant back in the old days who uh, was convinced for years and years that I was Italian. He was a kind of a mentor of mine. And when I uh, when I finally told him, I you know years later, I said, "Hey, uh, Dave, I'm I'm not Italian. I'm Romanian." He looked at me and was kind of. Uh, kind of pale face for a second then he said well i'm going to make you an honorary italian anyway <laughs> it doesn't matter here's one of the things and some for, for younger people they may not get this i i grew up in a navy family so we lived everywhere and when i was policing in baltimore and we'll get to your conversation in a moment we had a lot of ethnic neighborhoods and where my family settled when they immigrated from ireland uh they settled in new york new jersey uh new york city long island that whole area and you had a lot of ethnic neighborhoods. I love ethnicity, and I kind of miss that we don't have a lot of that anymore. Yeah, it makes for it makes for interesting, um, you know, life. And uh, certainly in my family, growing up, my my father was Romanian, my mother was from Austria, so we had a lot of stuff going on. I'll bet you did. I'm sure if, to be a fly on the wall at, at a family yeah. dinner table. I bet there were some rather heated discussions from time to time. Uh, yes, there were. <laughs> we're going to talk about a serious note. First of all, you're retired LAPD. I want to thank you for your service there. We'll talk about that more later. But you got involved in the filming of a show, uh, a miniseries called American Cartel, that's being featured right now on Discovery Plus, which is Discovery's on-demand video service. By the way, I love the Discovery Channel. I love Investigation Discovery. My wife and I binge on that stuff all the time. 
Yeah, it's a great new platform, Discovery Plus, um, kind of the answer to the streaming network with a lot of content, not just law enforcement content, but all kinds of stuff. And uh, it's a great opportunity to watch something. Uh, We can be a little bit more unfiltered in that. So it's a a little raw kind of uh, show. So uh, all the shows are a little bit more raw. So it's... um, it's it's quite a good place for us to kind of have our show on, uh, which is which is American Cartel, because it's a tough story to tell, and I think that Discovery Plus is a great place for us to tell it. And they seem to do a pretty good job of letting police be police and tell their stories for everybody else to consume, which I think is admirable because a lot of channels don't do that. I've had Joe Kenda on, I've had Rod Demery on, and one of the things that we all laugh about is my wife and I will watch the show. She goes, I love the way they talk. I love the, the, the whole lingo they use. I'm like, they talk like every cop I know. They're just being themselves, which is, I got to applaud Discovery, Discovery Channel, Investigation, Investigation Discovery, and Discovery Plus, which I will check out for doing that. Yeah, we have our own, uh, you know, we have our own code in the profession, right? So you can be from L.A. or Baltimore or New York, but if you, over the years, you know, I was camping with my family and I would meet some other cop who was from another city and another state, and, uh, you know, pretty soon we were talking the same language. It took about one beer and we were into it. So Isn't that we funny how that have, happens? We definitely have the same language. We do, and I think it's a lot of it's because of its commonality. We have a common points of experience and common understanding of the job. There may be rules and regulations are different and state laws are different and state and city local ordinances are different but deep down it's the same type of individual doing his job everywhere and it doesn't really matter what their race their ethnicity their sexual preferences they don't none of us really cared no i mean it's not a question you ask somebody when you're riding with a partner all you care about is that that partner has your back and is going to back you up that's always been the case i i work with officers uh, from all different groups over my career. And the only thing I cared about is that they wanted to work. That was my prerequisite. If you wanted to work, we were good to go. That's absolutely. it. Absolutely. And we used to have an old saying is, if I got into a brawl uh, and all you could do was come hold someone's hand or grab an arm, jump in and do what you had to do. So we all went home safe that night. And unfortunately, your involvement in this case, American Cartel, involved an officer who was killed in the line of duty and another one who was shot. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah, it was a, it was a case that occurred, uh, it's coming up on 18 years ago, uh, in the city of Burbank, California, which is not LAPD, but it's one of the many cities that uh, is in the major metropolitan area of Los Angeles. And uh, smaller city, about 178 police officers, kind of well-known as an industry, as a TV industry city, Warner Brothers, um, NBC, that's where Johnny Carson's show was filmed, that's where the, uh, where the Jay Leno show was filmed, and so that's kind of the reputation. Uh, we knew them mostly back in those days as a place that was stealing a few of our officers because their pay was better than ours, and when I had been a uniform watch commander in North Hollywood, I had dealt with them because occasionally our paths would cross or we would get their arrestees or vice versa, but I didn't know that much about the Burbank Police Department at the time. Even though you worked side by side and were neighbors. We were neighbors, but they did their own thing. They had a distinctly kind of different, uh, you know, policing goal. It was a slower city, not as busy, which is, which is, you know, kind of what happened in this, in this case is that our criminals from the city crept over into their neck of the woods because Burbank literally borders North Hollywood Division, which is one of our Southern Valley divisions. We're a big department, 10,000 officers, 22 divisions. So we're big, you know, and each division has anywhere between three to 500 officers. So it's a pretty, you know, each division is the size of a small department. Uh, but the city of Burbank is on the southern part of the city. 
And uh, and again, it's I don't want to say it's a sleepy hollow, but it's certainly not uh, a super busy place in terms of policing. When you said North Hollywood Division, the first thing that came to my mind, Adam, was the North Hollywood Bank shootout uh, that forever changed the way police across the United States were equipped. And a lot of what people talk about with the militarization of police and patrol rifles and all those things uh, that involved the bank robbery suspects who were heavily armed, uh, that had soft body armor, had and, and the police were just so outgunned. I remember watching that on television and I mean, my heart was breaking for those men and women out there. You know, I have a very distinct experience with the North Hollywood shootout. I missed it. <laughs> so um, at the time, I was uh, a Sergeant 2, which is a, a sergeant with a rocker, uh, watch commander position in Van Nuys Division, which borders North Hollywood. And we were on a compressed work schedule. And as a result of that, I had to do a makeup day once a month for my time. Or you could, take a comp- you could use your comp time and take a day off. Well, my wife at the time, uh, my current wife, she was my wife always, she says to me, can you take the day off? I'm going to take it. She was, she was studying to be a teacher, and then we'll go out to lunch. And uh, we had four kids at home, so it was a time for kind of a date during the middle of the day. So I took the day off. And thank on, goodness on, for that. We're talking with Adam Berkovici, retired LAPD. We've got so much to talk about. This is a Law Enforcement Today show. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John, the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. All too often, we find ourselves getting asked, where can I find other great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law Enforcement Today. You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, that's letradioshow.com to find out more information about law enforcement today, our podcast network, and to download our free app, letradioshow.com. This portion of the Law Enforcement Today show brought to you by Switched On Life. Switched On is a way of life, a constant awareness, a mindset, a coat of armor. It protects you from all types of threats in every aspect of life. Get more details about the book, the podcast, and more at switchedonlife.com. That's switchedonlife.com. Return conversation with... Adam Berkovici, retired LAPD lieutenant on the Law Enforcement Today show. Before we end the break, Adam, we were talking about the North Hollywood Bank shootout. And I remember vividly watching this thing. And when people talk about the militarization of police and they had officers shot and they couldn't rescue them. And the officers had to go into gun stores to get AR rifles and all sorts of other things. You said you were off that day. You missed it. Thank you. God for that. Yeah, it was a it was a funny experience because I took my wife to her class, which was in the valley, and I was waiting for her in the car. And all of a sudden, um, this was over in Northridge. I see black and whites coming down the street, and you know we see black and whites with their sirens on all the time, but they literally just kept coming forever and ever and ever. And this is 1997, so I think we had one cell phone in the car, and I called the station, 
and I was told that there was a giant gun battle going on. So I missed it, you know, and that was, that's, that's my contribution to that event. But it certainly did, uh, did change. And we were very much aware of those robbers. That's one thing that's not covered. They had committed a couple of violent robberies where they had used uh, their, um, their AK-47. Uh, and so we were very much aware that they were existing in the San Fernando Valley at the time. And it was just good police work that two guys driving down Laurel Canyon saw them. And the result was the North Hollywood shootout. People need to watch it. If you've never seen it, do a Google search for North Hollywood bank shootout. Uh, and it, it is incredible. A lot of bravery from the men and women in blue out there. And they were certainly outgunned. And it, without getting into a long conversation, I, one of the last gunfights I was in, Adam, was with a man wanted for murder. He hit me head on. He was armed with a forty-five semi-automatic. And I was armed with a thirty-eight revolver. And we're in the middle of the street trading shots. And... I remember thinking to myself, I fired four rounds, I had two left, and he was fumbling trying to reload, and I'm thinking, I got no cover. I got nowhere to hide. And it's a it's a very fearful feeling to realize you're that outgunned. So those men and women out there, they were going into the lion's den with nothing. 100%, 100%. And it, uh, it contributed to the evolution of what we have now, which is uh, officers with patrol rifles and... You know, um, I think it's really changed for the better in terms of being able to defend themselves and to defend the community that they're sworn to protect. My hat's off. So if you talk to anybody that was involved in that, please tell them I said thank you for their service. I'm going to thank you for yours as well. And by the way, I hate when people say it to me because I never know how to respond to that. So <laughs> it's it's one of my most awkward things in the world. So I just now say you're welcome. And thank yes. you for saying that because I really don't know how to reply to it. Do you find it to be a case for you? Um, you know, I, I appreciate it. it. It comes in the, it's kind of a, it's kind of a thing that people say a lot of times. And so I get it, you know, and it shows that there's a lot of people in, in this country that appreciate that the work that we do, you know, it's not a, it's not a perfect profession, but we certainly, it's nice when people acknowledge that because, uh, you spend a lot of time, you know, and, and policing, I mean, for me and many of my, my colleagues, we grew up on the LAPD, you know, we came on at 22, 23 years old and we grew up. The department was our home. It was a place that we existed every day. Most of our friendships came out of that. And so, you know, it's an important part of our lives. So I really appreciate it when people say that. I actually do. And you know what? It's it's a great way of putting it. I grew up in the Baltimore Police Department. I went in, in the academy at 20 and turned 21 in the academy. And, you know, we were shaped and molded by the senior officers. And they didn't always have kid gloves, unlike what people think. You know, I, I tell people I was very lucky. I was trained by a lot of Vietnam combat veterans, and we had a few commanders, uh, majors, captains, and above, and a few lieutenants who were Korean War veterans. And when they talk to you about policing, when you made a mistake, sometimes they were not very gentle about correcting you, but you learned how to be a good cop, and you learned how to do what we now call community policing, and you learned how to be part of the community you policed in, and those are valuable lessons. 100%. I, I had the exact same experience, you know, Jay. I, I, was, uh, I was trained by Vietnam vets, and I realized very quickly that they didn't have time for any of my 22 or 23-year-old angst, whatever I had going in my life. Um, and I, and I've, I've told people this before, that I got into the car. I worked our graveyard shift, which we call morning watch when I first came on. That at 11 o'clock that night, I got into the car one person, and when I got out of the car the next day at 7 o'clock in the morning, I was a different person. Because I had to be, because they didn't care if my tummy hurt or if I had a bad day or if I was, you know, they were the kind of guys when you gave them, or the sergeants were, when you gave them a report, if it was wrong, they tore it up right in front of you. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They were so bad about it. We have what we call telltales, like, uh, and and 
I'll return our conversation. They would leave like a little piece of paper on the back door of businesses. When you get this, call me. That's what the sergeant was doing. Make sure you're trying up the buildings. Make sure they weren't being broken into. And if you didn't find that piece of paper and call them, oh my goodness, there was, you know what to pay. Exactly, exactly. So you were like me. You you were raised by no nonsense police, and they they had a soft side. I, I don't want I don't want people to think that they're all hard all the time. But there was definitely an attitude of, yeah, we all go through really hard stuff. We all see horrible things. We all have to do our job, and there's calls waiting. So suck it up and get back to work. Hundred percent. And you know the thing that I I, I fall back on is. You know, I worked for some what what I viewed at the time some grouchy old sergeants. But when the when 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 it hit the fan, there were there were there was nobody better. They were incredible. They could they could lock a scene down. They knew how to run a perimeter. They knew what to do. You know, and uh, but they weren't. Um, you know, I don't say they weren't they weren't in, insensitive, but um, they knew that it was a profession. We had a job to do, and it was a different era. You know, there was. Uh, but the one thing I remember about those sergeants and those police officers, they were funny. I mean, I never laughed so hard in my life, my early part of my career. They guys had some wicked senses of humor, and you better be able to take a joke. That's all I had to say. Because if Absolutely. you couldn't, it was going to be a tough time. If you couldn't take a joke or a practical joke played on you, you're going to catch a lot of them until you learn how to deal with it. Exactly. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a former college football player. I'm a big guy. And uh, at the time, I was even bigger, you know, and um, I got into a fight one time and uh, with a suspect, saved my partner. And they said, how did he how did he do? And my training officer said, the kid did great. He was just like Conan the Barbarian. (laughs) And uh, for years, even after I left the first division, after I promoted, people would see me and say, hey, Conan. And it took me a while. So, you know, it was funny. And uh, in fact, when my wife and I first started dating, it was in the division that I met her. Guys would see her and say, you're dating Conan. (laughs) So that was uh, so that was the world we lived in. That was part of how you knew you arrived. And before we get a break, I'll just say this quickly. When you were assigned a post by your sergeant, it was a big honor. And when the people on the post gave you a nickname, which they all did, it was a bigger honor. And when your coworkers in the police department gave you a nickname, it meant you were okay. You kind of fit in. Uh, and contrary to what people believe and what they've been told, via Hollywood, no offense to where you worked, is that this thin blue wall of silence doesn't really exist. Uh, We are hard on each other, uh, and no one had tolerance for crooked police, and if you were, man, you didn't last long. You usually wound up getting arrested or fired at the very least. We're talking with Adam Berkovici. He is a retired police lieutenant from Los Angeles Police Department. He also contributes to the Discovery Plus streaming channel's miniseries American Cartel. We'll talk about that when we return. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Okay, we are running a car drive right now to help veterans all across America. So if you have an old car, truck, or van, even a motorcycle or an RV sitting around, you can right now give it away and help the vets. They really need your help. And your car will help support the vets and their families. And guess what? You even get a tax donation. Plus, we'll even come and pick up your car for free. And all you've got to do is pick up your phone right now and make a free call. Now is the perfect time 
time to do something good for the vets. Give back to the vets right now for all they've done for this country. And your old car can really help them. So call the Veterans Car Donation Program right now for free pickup of your vehicle. Help the vets and help your taxes at the same time. Call right now. 800 880 5013. 800 880 5013. That's 800 880 5013. American cartel. This refers to an incident in Burbank where a police officer was shot and killed. Another one was shot and severely injured. Uh, can you just give a brief overview of that? Yeah, sure. So it's it's a it's a series on Discovery Plus. I'm I'm in it because I was involved in the case, and I'm one of the executive producers. And I brought the series to uh, the content group in Asylum, which is the production company that ended up giving it to Discovery Plus. Um, it was a case that I was involved in about 18 years ago, a little less than 18 years ago, where a Burbank police officer was shot and killed and a, another police officer was severely wounded. And it was a huge manhunt. Uh, Burbank is a smaller agency. Many of us came in from different agencies, uh, L.A. County Sheriff's, LAPD, DEA, ATF, you name it. At the time, I was a lieutenant and I had, uh, I had a lot of responsibility. I had 116 people working for me including parts of the Violent Crime Task Force, uh, elements of the Joint Terrorism Task Force, because this was after 9-11. And I had three surveillance teams, three, uh, a large investigative body. So I was a natural resource that was called on by my boss at the time, who was John Miller, who was still currently at NYPD, who was our chief of intelligence and, and head of the Major Crimes Division. So I came in with my resources, and we worked this case nonstop with a lot of other people, which isn't just my people, uh, from the sheriffs, ATF, um, FBI, DEA, U.S. Marshals, Burbank, uh, pretty much every every agency in Southern California contributed. Uh, we had Pasadena and Glendale, everybody. And it was successful. It was a manhunt for the killer of this police officer. And in the course of this investigation, we discovered that this gang, which was the Violent Boys, uh, was connected to the Mexican mafia and the Mexican cartel. And they had been operating pretty much under the wire for many years, uh, transporting and trafficking in high-quality methamphetamine. And that the police officers that night, they were uniformed cops, uh, wandered into this thing, uh, doing good police work, but wandered into something, you know, I, I don't even want to use the word wander. It was an investigative stop that resulted in a, in a gun battle where one officer died. But it was an incredible case because we cooperated. As many people know, you know, law enforcement, oftentimes other agencies, other places, when it comes to these big things, we don't work so well together. It's kind of a struggle. We end up keeping our eye on the ball and we do a good job. But in this case, all egos were put aside. Everybody kept their eye on the mission and we were successful. And it resulted after, after the end of the investigation in a three, in an 18 month RICO case that went after the gang. So it was a very groundbreaking investigation. And it all happened quickly. And we really had to act and uh, do our job on the fly. One of the things that people don't get, and they ask me what it was like being in policing, said, look, it was 95% sheer boredom. And then you know, every now and then you'd have life and death adrenaline situations, and then you go back down again. 
to the sheer boredom. So it was a constant roller coaster. Uh, what first thing that, that came to my mind is it got to the point where I didn't want to stop traffic where I worked unless I thought they were murderers, had guns, or a stolen car or drugs because the, the, the idea of stopping a vehicle, you have no idea, just a traffic violation, and it turns out to be someone who's robbed a bank, quite often you're not on your game. But if you think ahead of time, this might be a murderer, you go at it with a different attitude. Am I barking up the wrong tree? No, you're, I mean, you're right. We talk about it and without giving a spoiler is that, and it's one of the parts of the show, is that every major case, uh, there's a belief that every major case at some point starts with a traffic stop, with an investigative stop. I mean, you could, you could say a traffic stop, a pedestrian stop, but so much of good police work, you know, starts with uniformed officers who have good observational skills, who know their area, and they go to those places to see what's happening and to see, you know, if there's any criminal activity. And that's really, that's really the most dangerous thing that we do. And the initial officer that went into this, Greg Campbell, he's a 19-year veteran, very experienced guy, had done a tour in narcotics, had SWAT experience. He was not a new guy. Sadly, the officer that died had nine months in the job, but he also had been in the Air Force where he was a military police officer. So you had guys that were pretty squared away, but it's dangerous stuff. And, um, you know, these gangsters, they sometimes are heavily armed. And if they're committed, if they're going to get the drop on you, they're going to get the drop on you. I mean, that's just the reality of it, because we're reacting to their action. And that's what happened that night. And the case came to us. I mean, it was, it was like every other night on a Saturday night that I was off. I was not working that night. You know, we had to turn it on pretty quick. I mean, I went from sitting at home, sipping a margarita, to being in the middle of the biggest manhunt in the last 10 years in Southern California, you know. And uh, and I was responsible for a lot of people. I was responsible for investigative and surveillance assets, and we had to put them in the right place, and we had to get something up and running, because those are the people that know these large investigations. It's about management. It's not about running around with your head cut off. You're going to get a ton of clues. You're going to get a ton of information from from the community and sources, and you got to manage that so you can solve the case and find the person that killed the police officer. And that was the key to this whole thing. And the the management of all that evidence, all the leads, all the tips, and a lot of them wind up being not even relevant or to the case at all, or maybe even flat out false. But you still have to look at it, and it's very easy for something of that magnitude for stuff to fall through the cracks. Exactly. One of the very first things that I did, I had a really, really good detective that worked for me named Diane Kewen, and we put her in charge of clue management. And clue management has been discussed later when I worked homicide. Um, it's the same thing. You have to manage clues. You've got to manage them, and you have to, have, you have to act on them. You know, are they actionable, or are they something that you're going to put uh, you know, down on the third or fourth tier? And we had to decide that. Um, you know, we knew in this case that the that the that the we knew who the shooter was. I mean, fairly quickly, we knew what gang he was from. So we had to put assets into the neighborhood where he lived, surveillance assets. And it was a hot neighborhood. Things were happening. People. I mean, it was alive. And so we put our people in some very dangerous situations. But it was managing all that information, and also to recognizing that we had limitations. And so we needed to bring people like the U.S. Marshals in to help us because very quickly it became apparent that he was not there and we needed their expertise. So, so again, it's one of these things where I'm managing my people in the beginning. I'm also managing a large part of the case, but as it got larger and larger, 
we each had to take our own responsibility, manage our resources, and also work well with the other managers, other lieutenants and captains and senior detectives that were running their part. So it was very complex. And you'll see in the series how it evolved. It just kept going and going and going. And you know, I didn't sleep for the first three days. That's how we were up for three days straight. And then finally, I started sending people home. Some people who lived far away would just go in the parking lot and sleep in their cars. That's how rough it was and uh, for the first three or four days until we started getting more folks in where we could do that. But it was a, it was a tough deal. You know? you know, we were up for a lot of days. One of the things that comes to my mind immediately when you say that is I remember being on scenes of homicide calls and as a sergeant, one of the first things we had to do as a responsibility was to make sure the crime scene was protected, the appropriate people, the, the detectives were notified, everybody else, uh, and then start the, the, the area canvas, go neighborhood, knocking on door to door, old fashioned gumshoe police work. And I, I'm envisioning that you've got this tremendous crime scene and someone's got to tell people, hey, do you go talk to that person? Do you knock on that door? Was that an issue? No, you know, here's the, here's the issue that we had with this case is that, is that it's the suspect's family, neighborhood, and community, they, they were hiding him. It wasn't, it wasn't a friendly atmosphere. It wasn't, um, he had fled from the city of Burbank into the city of Los Angeles into an area that was a high-density gang area. So we were not working in a friendly area. It wasn't like you could knock on doors and say, hey, did you see this guy? Because they were hiding him. It was a cooperative effort to get him out of the area. So we had to send surveillance teams in to start to begin to see what was happening. And at the same time, we were also, from the suspect that was killed and from other information, we were starting to get information about suspects' associates, about who was who and who was all that, all that other stuff. We're going to so take we a short able- break. We're talking with Adam Bergovici. When we return to the Law Enforcement Today show, more about the investigation that led to this series on Discovery Plus called American Cartel. If you're on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app, be sure to look for me and follow me. My name's John the letter J, Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y. You can also search for at L-E-T Radio Show. That's John J. Wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at L-E-T Radio Show on the Clubhouse drop-in audio chat app. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-451-8603-800-451-8603-800-451-8603. That's 800-451-8603. Back to our conversation with Adam Bercovici on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Adam is a retired Los Angeles Police Department Lieutenant. He's also one of the stars of the 
show American Cartel miniseries on Discovery Plus, an on-demand streaming service from Discovery. That's Discovery Plus. Proving the break, Adam. You're talking about trying to find the bad guy. And the neighborhood where he's being hidden was anti-police. It was uh, a lot of animosity. So it wasn't like you could do area canvas and knock on doors and hey, did you see anything? You had to put crews in there to watch. Exactly. We had to put crews in there to watch. And we, at the same time, we were working intelligence and information that was coming from other suspects that we had taken into custody and from uh, a suspect was killed during the shooting. And so we were, you know, getting his information. So it was it was a cooperative kind of effort. You know, it was a combination of surveillance and investigation, at least in the initial two or three days. So it was a it was a great case. And, and I think the thing that I, I would like to you know tell all the listeners and what people are hearing about is that this was a great example of how a manhunt is supposed to go down. It really is. Uh, it's not the first one I was involved in after that. After that, I, I had the experience with another unit that I ran that I was involved in the in the search for cop killers and other or people that had hurt police officers. And it's not always as smooth. It's not always as cooperative. This was a great example of what we can do when we do it right. And we did it all on the fly. We didn't do it with any kind of preparation. There was no, hey, we're going to do a cop. We're going to do a big manhunt tomorrow. It literally happened just like that. And you kind of have to react to the situation and the circumstances. Every every call, every incident's different. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter whether you're working a radio car as a young cop or you're managing a case with uh, a thousand police officers trying to find a cop killer. You have to be able to react as as the situation unfolds. You have to improvise. And if you if you say I'm going to go in with a plan and I'm going to stick to the plan, you're going to fail. We were very lucky in this case that management, upper management, executive management, deputy chiefs, and the chief at the time, let this be run at the lieutenant and detective level. That was the success. We didn't have a lot of micromanaging from deputy chiefs, from commanders. It was run at the lieutenant and below level. We were given full autonomy, and I think that's why it was successful. You know, we didn't have the kind of crazy micromanaging that can happen on a big case when executives get involved who maybe haven't worked these kind of cases or have no experience. You had a lot of really experienced people working this case with who had done a lot of different things, worked large violent crime cases, and that's why we were successful. By the way, lieutenants and below, that's the street. Those are the street cops, and they're the ones who know how to handle the situation in the neighborhoods. They know what's going on in the situation in neighborhoods. Quite often, the command staff, and I'm trying to be nice when I say this, quite often the command staff really does not know, and they're really not very well plugged in. No, and it's not their fault. They've been removed from it. You know, they've. Uh, we have captains, and we ha- we were very lucky. We had a deputy chief named Mike Hillman, who was very well known in law enforcement, and he is a very operational guy. He's an original, you know, he's a guy that worked SWAT during the early days, and um, he let us do our job. I mean, that's all I can ask. You know, he would give advice, but he let us do our job. He would say, what do you guys think? How do you want to do it? And that's the key. And so did John Miller, who was our civilian deputy chief. They didn't get in the middle of our stuff. They supported us. And if they needed to run interference, they ran interference. So that's why it was successful. And again, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes you run into other problems and you get a deputy chief who, you know, wants to play detective. And that can be a problem sometimes. Right. And by the way, most of all, most importantly, it's not like you see on television. It's not like that at all. People ask me, and I'm going to ask you this question. They say, what police shows do you think were the best? And I go, Hill Street Blues and Barney Miller. And that's it. What do you think were the you best? Know, um, well, my opinion right now, the, the, the one of the best shows I've seen on TV 
is Bosch currently. That's a very good show because it's LAPD, but it's it's pretty accurate, uh, you know. And uh, I always, you know, uh, I talk to other lieutenants and we all laugh because we've all had a Bosch work for us, right? I was Where one of those you? guys once. <laughs> I was a real knucklehead for a while. Yeah, where you know, where are you? What state are you in? <laughs> you know that kind of stuff when you talk to them. I also think one of the greatest shows of all time, and I'm going to go back a long time. If you watch it, and I would encourage anybody to ever watch it, is the old police story that Joseph Wamba did, the anthology oh, yeah. series in the '70s. Um, that's literally every war story I ever heard as a young cop, and it's right there on the television screen. So that that's man. a great show, and uh, and they had really good tech. You know, all the consultants on it were active police officers. And by the way, Joseph Wamba, he was instrumental in me deciding to go in police work. I never met the man. I would love to meet him someday. But I remember I was going to be a priest first. I was in a seminary, and I decided that was not my calling. And then I was watching and reading a lot of Joseph Wamba books, and I was like, and the movie The Onion Field is the one that turned me right there. I said, this is what I want to do. Yeah, one of the great stories. That's a whole. That's a whole podcast in itself because it's a tragedy. And uh, I used to tell young officers when I was in uniform as a watch commander and as a, and a lieutenant, as a sergeant, I'd say, read the uh, read the New Centurions yeah. now, and then read it in five years, <laughs> and see if you look at it differently. And you, where do you relate yourself in this book with these characters? Exactly, because it's about the first five years and three three officers' experience. And they say, you know, five years is the is the fundamental change, is the fundamental ground, uh, you know, where you establish yourself as a police officer those first five years. Well, I want to thank you for your career. And again, when, in this case, American Cartel, which is, by the way, is a, a miniseries on Discovery Plus, which is Discovery's on-demand streaming service. You can watch it right now. And in your investigation, you wind up catching the bad guys, and they wind up being connected with El Chapo Guzman and the Sinaloa cartel. Am I correct? That's correct. It was uh, it was something that was going on, and it's and it's actually much more insidious because the Violent Boys weren't the only gang that the, that that these guys were using. It was a lot of other gangs across the country, and the eventual RICO case that went down went all across the country. So, yeah, it was a big deal. And again, it all started with some good investigative police work on the part of Greg Campbell, who made that traffic stop. That's that's how it started. And you got into it leading the, the manhunt, the surveillance, and all that stuff, and then you decided, after retiring, you wanted to pursue this and make it a television miniseries. How does one go from being a cop, a street cop, to being an executive producer, for lack of better words, for TV? Well, it's pretty organic because uh, <laughs> I was asked to be, about five years ago, I was on a TV, I was called and asked to be on a television show called uh, JFK Declassified, Tracking Oswald. I had done some press releases working homicide. A producer who was working for History Channel, the production company that worked with History Channel, uh, was a friend with a, uh, a friend of a reporter with the LA Times. He said, hey, do you know a lieutenant or somebody like that who's, who's good on television? Next thing I know, I get a call. They said, hey, you want to audition? I auditioned. I got the part. I had a great time making the show. And I became friends with one of the producers, Dan Johnstone, who I am now in partnership with. And we became really good friends. And I told him about this story five years ago because it stuck in my mind. And um, I kept telling him about it. This is a great story. This is a great story. And he finally made it happen. Uh, we were able to get the family involved. You'll see in the series that the family of the slain officer is very much a big part of this. His father uh, was a detective on our job, so it's very hit very close to home. But that's how you do it. It's kind of an organic. I didn't go into it and decide, hey, I'm going to be a producer 
in the unscripted world. But now that's what's happened, and uh, we have additional projects on the way and other projects in development, and we're always looking for good ideas. So, um, you know, I put it out there to any investigators or people that have worked, you know, big cases. We are looking for ideas, and we're looking to talk to other police officers. And so many police have great stories because it's unscripted life. And we see people at their worst. And even if they're a victim of crime, it's not a good day for them, whatever it might be. But the homicides and some of the characters are so vivid. Some of them are great people, by the way. Uh, Not everybody you deal with is, is a criminal. And some of the criminals aren't even that bad a guy. Some of them are okay. You know what I mean? But... I always thought I would want to do do one of two things when I retired. I'd either write a novel based on all these stories or open up an Irish pub. And it's a good thing <laughs> I didn't either one because, first of all, that writing takes a lot of work. It does. It does. I've, I've toyed with it before. And I come. my dad was a writer, so I'm familiar with that, that world. He was, a, he was actually a movie writer, believe it or not. So I, I, I grew up in that world. It's a tough it's a tough world, but all the connections I made, I didn't make with anything I, that was my father's world. I made it because of luck. You know, I had no interest as a young guy being involved in the entertainment industry. I wanted to be a police officer, and I wanted that world. But um, there's great stories to be told. What do they used to say? It's a ringside seat to the greatest show on earth. Right? Absolutely. So that's, that's what it is. And, and again, um, I could talk to a police officer in Baltimore, in New York, in any city, town in this country, and they would have something amazing to tell me. Adam, I appreciate you being a guest on the show. Be sure to check out on Discovery Plus, the miniseries American Cartel. Again, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Very much appreciated. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. I'd like to thank our guest so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, Please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya. Mm-hmm.